Welcome to worship at MCC Lehigh Valley. Amen. Let's join in our call to worship. Fellow journeyers, why are we here today? We are here to tell what Jesus did amid our brokenness, to give our praise amid our pain, to seek the Lord, and to join with the beloved community as we worship the Holy One. Amen. You may be seated as we continue to worship. introduction to a confession, right? So let's take a pause here. I do enjoy a good unison confession. Uh, it's always good to go to God one-on-one -on -one and confess to God where, uh, where we may have been in right relationship and where we may have separated ourselves from God. But I also like a unison confession because it's a reminder that we're all in this together, right? We're all in this faith life together. So if you'll join with me now in our unison confession. God of tender mercies, 
We admit that sometimes we don't know what to do with ourselves. We anger at the slightest insult and imagine great vengeance upon those who wronged us. We point out where others are living in denial, but cannot see where we are living in denial. We laze about in the good news of our faith and do not consider the deep commitment of faith. We care for ourselves, but not for others. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us, help us to repent and make us whole, we pray. Amen. And remember that most basic definition of repent. What does repent mean? To return to God. And remember God's arms are always wide open to us. We thank you and praise you, God, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you'll never let us go. And we have established this as a sacred space. We have established this space as praying ground. So we're going to take a moment now. We're going to join all of our prayer energy together. We're going to join all of our prayer attention together. In just a moment, I'm going to pause. And into that pause, we're going to invite you to lift up any prayer requests that you might have today. Uh, a beloved one who is in need of prayer, a situation, a circumstance. So into that pause, speak your prayer request. For those who are worshiping online, just type your prayer request directly into the comments of the Facebook uh, broadcast. And so uh, let's pause. wonder-working God, you give us wisdom and discernment, and we are so grateful. Pour out your spirit on this gathering of worship. Grow us in faith, in mercy, and grace. Point us toward love and hope. We want to follow Jesus, but God, you know how distracted we are. You know how busy we are with things that do not satisfy, so calm us down, Lord God quiet our minds, still our hearts, so that we might receive you fully. And if there is anyone worshiping today who is in need of healing, we boldly ask you, God, to provide that healing. If there's anyone worshiping today who is in need of a miracle, we boldly ask you, Lord God, to provide that miracle. If there's anyone worshiping today who's in need of direction, God, we boldly ask you to show the pathway. You have created us, God, and wired us for worship. Grant us your salvation and protection, we pray, and let's all say, amen.
reading today comes from chapter 18 of the Gospel according to John. Hear God's word for you. So the soldiers, their officer, and the temple police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took Jesus to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the religious leaders that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the country yard of the high priest, courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the community comes together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Here ends today's reading. Praise God that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Praise God indeed. Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable unto you. Just continue pouring out your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord God, amen. Well, today we continue a journey toward the cross. Jesus is coming closer to his crucifixion, and in today's scripture passage, he is arrested by Roman soldiers. He stands before the religious authorities, and he's assaulted by a police officer. Now, the journey to the cross had started out more joyously, right? We started this series with Jesus restoring Lazarus to life, right? Lazarus dead in the tomb, and Jesus restores him to life. And then we heard about Jesus washing the feet of his followers, another joyous scene. And then we heard about Jesus promising the gift of the Holy Spirit to his followers. And things are more difficult now. The followers of Jesus are not managing as, as well. And we hear that Peter denies even having known Jesus. And Peter denies his connection to Jesus not just once, not twice, but three times. Peter flakes out, as do the other disciples. And we all have a tendency to flake out about our spiritual commitments. So today, we're going to focus some of our time on this proclivity we all have, this tendency toward denial. Uh, and then uh, for the second half of today's message, we're going to look to the way out of denial. 
which is a commitment to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth gets us out of denial. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, what exactly is denial? What's our definition? What, are, what definition are we working from? Well, on this next slide, we have our definition of denial. And that is that denial is an unconscious defense mechanism characterized by refusal to acknowledge painful realities, thoughts, or feelings. Okay, so that's what we're going with for our definition uh, from psychology there. So when someone is in denial, they're not in denial on purpose, right? Because denial is what? It's unconscious, right? It happens at such a deep level that we're not even aware of it. And it's often not until later that we realize that we're in denial about something, right? Like, ooh, I was really in, in denial about the extent of a family member's illness. Or we look back and we think, ooh, I was really in denial about my friend's addiction. Or we look back and we think, I was really in denial about being a workaholic. Or we look back and we think, I was, I was really in denial about the state of my relationship. And we look back and we think, I was really in, in denial about the health of the organization that I was a part of for a long time. Whatever it may be, right, we cannot handle the painful reality of loss or betrayal or sin or a traumatic event. We cannot handle the painful reality of something, so we end up in a state of denial. We do not purposely enter into denial, okay? Again, it's unconscious. If we were purposely denying something, that would be lying, right? And denial is not lying. A person is not intentionally sharing falsehoods. So Peter is not being a naughty little liar, right? Peter is unable to comprehend uh, the arrest and the soon-to-be horrible death of his teacher, his friend, his mentor, Jesus, okay? Now, I have been on both sides of denial. And it can be a tough place to reside. Many years ago when I was, I was pretty new to pastoring, two different church members attempted, and that's the key word in this sentence, attempted to have an intervention with me about my stress level. And they were very kind about it. And a, a few weeks apart, they took me to the side one-on-one -on -one and, and they even provided me with books. Um, and I say they attempted an intervention with me because at the time, I completely and denied to both of them that I was experiencing any stress. And I denied it for a variety of reasons, right? Probably mostly because I didn't want to appear weak, didn't want to acknowledge that I was struggling with something. It was an unconscious defense mechanism. Now, a couple of years later, I read every word of those books that they provided to me, um, and I was able to move on to the next chapter of leadership, more centered and more able to name the stress when it was happening, and I developed some prayer practices that were particularly helpful. Now, I think a lot of people deal with some level of workplace stress, no matter what type of workplace it may be. But in addition to workplace stress, there are a lot of people uh, in our communities who are dealing with significant family stress, dealing with significant relationship stresses. And if we're not in touch spiritually, we end up in denial. Why? It's a handy-dandy defense mechanism. Denial helps us to cope. 
but not to cope particularly well, and it locks away the trouble for a while, although eventually the trouble always bubbles over. So I have been on the side of denial where people have had to intervene with me about something, and then I've been on the other side. I've been on the other side where I've tried to intervene with someone about something that they've been denying, and those interactions rarely go well, right? Because they're not supposed to go well. Why? Because what's our definition of, of denial? It's an unconscious defense mechanism. So remember, when we're trying to point out to someone that they're, uh, they're in denial, it's not meant to go well, right? Because it's an unconscious reaction. The person is just defending themselves. Now, it doesn't relieve us of having the interaction, though, right? Amen, anyone? It doesn't relieve us of having that reaction, of having that interaction. And the hope is that someday the person is able to come out of that denial and live a more healed uh, life, come to a more healed place. Now, we would never expect uh, the three people who pointed out Peter's denial, we, sh we would never think to ourselves, well, they shouldn't have said anything to him, right? We're to point it out when it's placed in front of us. We're, be, we're to be like that woman who is guarding the gate at the courtyard of the high priest, right? The woman had let one disciple in, and then she asks Peter, you're not also one of these men's disciples, are you? And Peter says, I am not, right? And we can imagine the woman's reaction, maybe a little bit of side-eye. Okay, whatever, Peter, okay. Now, Peter eventually makes his way over to the fire to warm himself up a bit, and standing at that fire are some, are some servants and police officers. They ask Peter, you're also not one of the disciples, are you? And Peter denies it, right, says, I'm not. And maybe those folks, maybe they mumbled among themselves, like, you know, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. You know, what's with this guy? He's not getting it, right? And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of Malchus, the man whose uh, ear that Peter had cut off. So one of these servants asked, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? And again, Peter denied it. And at the moment of this third denial of Peter, the rooster crows. Peter had insisted he would not deny, right? What did Peter say earlier to Jesus before this scene? Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you, right? And Jesus said to Peter, well, truly I tell you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter again insisted to Jesus, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter insisted he would never, ever deny Jesus, but what does Peter do? pretty quickly enters into denial. Peter cannot handle the truth of what was happening. The things were going to become very painful for Jesus. And, and Peter's denial is a kind of denial that, that many of us have entered into over the years. You know, when spirituality is, is fun and when it's full of friends and, and fellowship, we really dig it. But the moment when it becomes more boring or a, a deeper commitment is called for or some type of sacrifice must be made, we can be pretty quick to say, what, I'm out of here, <laughs> right? Now, when MCCLV was located in uh, Allentown at its 4th Street uh, location, I taught a, a three-part series, and it was on sexuality, orientation, and the Bible. Uh, sexuality, orientation, and gender, excuse me. Sexuality, orientation, and gender in the Bible. Three-part series. The first night of the series, over 40 people were there 
to uh, take part in that Bible study. And then the other two nights of that series, more people came to that series. And then immediately after that series, the next week of Bible study, we started the book of Deuteronomy. And there were three people present at that study on the book of Deuteronomy. And one of those people was me. <laughs> so, right? Right? Sometimes when, when things get more challenging, the topics are less sexy. They require more energy from us. Sometimes we're, we're like, okay, uh, see you later. I'll, I'll be back uh, some other time. Now, of course, the, the spiritual life at its core, it's not really about Bible study attendance. At its core, it's not about worship attendance or, or participating in activities or service opportunities. These are all very important parts of spiritual growth. Don't get me wrong. All very important parts of spiritual growth. But the core of our denial is found at the core of our faith. And who is the core of our faith? Jesus. Right? That's where we can find the core of our denial. Like Peter, we deny Christ not for personal gain, but often out of personal shame. And it's uncomfortable these days, right, to name any sort of connection with Christ. Let's put that out there. It's uncomfortable to name a connection with Christ. It's natural that we have kind of a, a defense mechanism when someone attempts to talk about it with us. You know, first of all, we deny Christ when we, when we sort of over-explain, right? When we say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians who hates on LGBT people, right? Um, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm not one of those Christians who wants everyone to own 10 guns apiece, right? Or um, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians who's an expert on epidemiology, even though I took my last science class like 30 years ago, right? So we, we deny Christ when we try to over-explain. I think we also deny Christ when we keep our, our faith personal, when we keep our faith private, and never let it touch the street, never let it touch the protest or the person in prison who is dying to just receive one letter this month. And then I think too we deny Christ when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to cynicism or gossip, when we keep our hearts hard and closed. Now, what I love about the Bible, what I love about the spiritual life are its reversals and its transformations. Yes, Peter denied Jesus, yet Peter also became what? An enormously effective communicator of the inclusive love of God through Christ Jesus. Upon this rock, the church would be built. At first, we're not so sure that Peter is up to being the rock on whom the church is built. But the church does not thrive because perfect, famous, good-looking, and well-spoken people popularize it. The church thrives because ordinary people are willing to make a commitment to spiritual growth. And on this next slide, uh, we have what's the way out of denial? Well, it's that commitment to spiritual growth. Now, what exactly is spiritual growth? And how do we know? that we're growing spiritually. Well, at its most basic, spiritual growth is becoming more and more like Jesus, okay? That's gonna be our, our basic definition of spiritual growth, okay? What does it mean to grow spiritually? To become more and more like Jesus. And some people might be thinking, wait a minute, hold up, Gaudi, just a moment there. Uh, 
that's a really high bar that you've just set, that we're to become more and more like Jesus. You just spent half of this message saying how we're all like Peter. So shouldn't we aim to be like Peter, right? You know, aim to flake out, aim to be flaky, and then sort of pull it together uh, in the end. Um, but it's okay to set high goals, right? And to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, of course, we're going to fall short all the time, but there's no need to beat ourselves up because the grace of God is always available. So it's a, a commitment, this commitment to spiritual growth reveals the depth of God to us. It, it deepens our lives so that, that denial has a harder time taking root in our lives. But I think that the question is, well, how do we know that we're growing spiritually? How do we know that? Well, that's tougher to answer, I think. We live in a world of metrics, and, and church denominations really love metrics a lot, okay? And so local churches were required to report all sorts of metrics, all sort of data to our denomination. How many people are in attendance for every worship service? How many active members are there at the church? How many inactive members? You know, what was the amount in every offering? And, and some denominations take it a little bit further. They measure spiritual growth through engagement and, and spiritual and, and service opportunities, excuse me. They measure engagement and service opportunities as well as engagement in adult Christian ed and children's Christian education. Now, I personally, I would love to see a denominational report ask, well, how many people in the church grew in their ability to forgive over the past year? I would love to see that question in a denominational report sometime. How many people grew in their ability to forgive? How many people in the church grew in their ability to offer encouragement to others? How many people in the church grew in being good neighbors? How many people in the church grew in being generous tippers? out there and about in the world? How many people in the church grew in offering more supportive comments on social media? How many people in the church grew in providing um, gracious responses to ungracious remarks? How many people in the church grew in loving their enemies? How many people in the church have grown over the past year in having a deeper, richer prayer life? I'd love to see those questions in a denominational report sometime, but we'll keep filling out our monthly reports, you know, with the worship attendance and the offering totals, but I'm going to keep that, that hope. I'm going to keep that hope. Spiritual growth is difficult to measure. It does resist easy data, right? It, it resists those, those pretty charts and graphs that we can see on an annual report. But I think it's best summed up in Ephesians. That, uh, a beautiful verse in Ephesians that it, it, it goes this way. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, and who are all the saints? All the people sitting around us right now. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. Knowledge is nice. But the love of Christ is more important. Without love, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, we are nothing, right? Paul points out to the Corinthian church that we may speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but if we do not have love, what are we? We're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
and we may have prophetic power so as to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and we may have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if we do not have love, we are nothing. We may give away all of our possessions and hand over our bodies, but if we do not have love, we gain nothing. We can be super well-spoken. We can have prophetic gifts. We can be super smart, super knowledgeable. We can have all sorts of faith. We can give and give and give some more, but these things are meaningless without the love of God, without receiving God's love for us and sharing God's love with others, which means having energy towards others, right? That's what love is, having energy toward others. And it's so easy to love the fun folks in our lives, right? The enjoyable people, right? The friends, the family, the people with whom we agree. But Paul is getting at something deeper, and so is Jesus. And, and uh, that's this, that, that our love for others, our energy toward others is for everyone, not just the fun folks. And I will always love the church because the church is the place where we spend time with the people that God has chosen for us. And this, these people that God has chosen for us, we may think differently, we may vote differently, we may act differently, but here we are in this glorious place, spending time with our glorious God and seeing God's love made manifest in each other. Praise be to God. Now, when Jesus goes in front of those religious authorities, they're concerned about what? Metrics. They want the data. Like denominations who want all the data. The religious authorities in Jesus' day, they're trying to figure out the numbers. How many people are following this new teaching, this new guy, Jesus, this unapproved teacher? And scripture tells us that the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching, but Jesus isn't gonna provide the data. Jesus says, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the community comes together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. Now for, for this response, one of the police officers who's standing nearby strikes Jesus on the face and says, is that how you talk to the high priest? And Jesus is very calm in his response, right? If I've spoken wrongly, then testify to the wrong. But if I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? And then Jesus is sent on to other religious authorities. Jesus remains centered despite the violence that's directed toward him. This is the, this is the breadth and length and height and depth. This is the surpassing love of Christ that's on display for us. Now, do you hear that there is another slap that is trending in the news right now. It's a slap that happened at the Oscars ceremony. Did anyone hear about that perhaps, right? Now everyone else has an opinion on it, so I'm gonna share my opinion, why not, right? But uh, I, I do wanna say that there's a spiritual opportunity there and that's why I'm talking uh, about it uh, briefly uh, today. I do wanna comment on it even though it seems to have been exhaustively uh, commented on. So what am I talking about? For those who haven't heard, the actor Will Smith slapped a comedian named Chris Rock, and this was during the Oscars ceremony. I am not at all comparing the context of the slap that Jesus received from the police officer with the slap that Chris Rock received. Two very different contexts. There's a spiritual opportunity in both of them, however. 
And we heard what Jesus' response was to that act of violence. Jesus does not respond in kind, right? Jesus doesn't hit back. And it's the same response that Chris Rock had in the moment. He didn't respond in kind. Now, I think, first off, I think so many viewers were just completely shocked by what happened. They didn't know if it was a setup or if it was real. And what had happened was Chris Rock had made a joke about Will Smith's spouse. And Will Smith responded with this sort of uncontrollable anger, slapping, yelling. And seeing it after the fact, it, it spoke different things for me. I think Chris Rock was a safe target on which Will Smith could focus his anger, focus his despair. Will Smith couldn't slap any other person uh, nearby. And it doesn't make his actions right or okay, right? Clearly, Will Smith is a first-class jerk. And it doesn't speak at all to the quality of Chris Rock's comedy. As for punishment or reconciliation, that's entirely up to Chris Rock, right? The police have said they're not going to do anything if there's not a, a report filed. And I don't think Chris Rock is going to file a report. Now, unfortunately, in marginalized groups, I'm going to say it, right? In marginalized groups, what do we do? We often take out our rage on each other. You can see it when women tear down other women. You can see it when LGBT people tear down other LGBT people. Oh, just heartbreaking, just heartrending to see and to hear. We can also see it sometimes when Christians tear down other Christians. It's safer to take things out on each other rather than slapping outside of the group, okay? Now some might say, well, Will Smith is a multimillionaire, he's not oppressed. Well, he may not be oppressed financially, but he's clearly experienced trauma in his life. He's clearly not doing well. He's, he's clearly got healing uh, that needs to uh, happen in his life. Now that slap, actually it really wasn't about an unfunny joke from Chris Rock. That slap came from years and years of having to take it of having to endure direction from people who didn't have his best interests in mind. That slap came from having to put on a show for people who only want to be entertained and who drop you the moment that they're bored. That slap came from just years and years and years of performance pressure and trying to push through the Hollywood system. Some people manage the pressure better than others. And again, Will Smith was in the wrong. But I get where that slap came from and why it happened. I get it. So what's the spiritual opportunity then? Well, there's something to be worked out between the two men. And Will Smith will need to offer more than an apology. Chris Rock did right by not hitting back. That's always the spiritual choice, right? That's the spiritual opportunity in our day-to-day -day lives to not hit back, to respond to the ungracious remarks with gracious words. That's the spiritual opportunity that we have in our day-to-day. -day. We seek to understand why people are hurting and why they hurt others, but we don't hurt in return. And I think also this is important. The spiritual choice is not to withdraw, but to stay engaged and not to return venom for venom. Of course, it's, it's very different than a person who's experienced repeated abuse from someone. I'm not comparing those situations at all. For people who have, who have experienced repeated abuse, get out, get safe. Uh, there are organizations that can help. But the spiritual choice, so, so going back to this sort of one-off 
event. The spiritual choice is always the harder choice, which I think is why a lot of people do not choose a spiritual path, right? What's the most obvious non-spiritual choice in this case? Well, it's to hit back. It's to respond to violence with violence, to respond to an insult with an insult. Now, the, the less obvious non-spiritual choice is to withdraw, right? To stay away from any relationships because there's that potential to experience hurt and pain, right? To just lock ourselves away somewhere. I'm not going to deal with people ever again. That's also a non-spiritual choice. The spiritual choice is when someone lashes out, we continue engaging the person who's done harm. Jesus defends himself to that police officer who struck him on the face. If I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. And then Jesus questions this police officer, but I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? The person who has done the harm may not engage in the conversation, right? But the person who's practicing spirituality, right, has this commitment to spiritual growth, does the Christ-like thing, by what? By continuing to engage, continuing to seek understanding. Spiritual, spiritual growth comes in unexpected ways through unexpected people in unexpected situations. And what spiritual growth does is it, it gets us out of our comfort zones and it, it gets us to respond to things more and more like Jesus. And this is a remarkable journey for each uh, one of us. And so let's pray. Um, Let's pray to our loving God, our transformative God. God, we turn to you, we look to you. We open our hearts, we open our minds to you. We wanna do your will. And we ask that you release us from any denial that we may be experiencing. We don't know where that is, uh, Lord God, so we need you to reveal it to us and to release us from any denial that we may be experiencing about our own lives, others in our lives. Release us, reveal to us, because we want to grow more and more in you. We want to grow more and more in being like your chosen one, Jesus. And help us to do so, Lord God. Help us to take little steps. Help us to take some big steps. Help us along the way uh, to live our lives more for you, more aware of you, and more in your will, we pray. Amen. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me.
Good morning, Church. Metropolitan Community Church of the Lehigh Valley is committed to serving our church and community with justice and compassion. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we hear, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. As we gather here today in person and online, we cannot forget about the needs of our neighbors around us right now, about our care ministry, which helps members of our congregation, about the food gift card program that has fed many families in our community. To continue to be blessed with God's work, we do need donations of offering every week. If you are struggling financially due to the COVID pandemic, and cannot donate, we do encourage you to pray for MCCLV. We are also aware that some have received the gift of still having a job and receiving abundance. For those, we ask that you give a portion of your earnings to help us continue our works and be fiscally responsible. Trust in the Lord. He is with you now and with our beloved church. You now can set up to donate monthly from our homepage it's a great way to make sure that your gift goes directly to the church's needs, no matter what time of year. Of course, you can give now in person during worship. Please send checks to MCCLV 1401 Greenview Drive, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania 18018. May God bless you and keep you. We thank you and praise you, God, for this great gift that you have provided to us this time around your table, the gift of your chosen one, Jesus. Help us to see everything and everyone as a precious gift from you, Lord God. Amen. If you could please rise as Abel. Let's join in saying together our commission and blessing. May we have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.
Just 